They gave me a choice of what I you know, wanted up here. I could have a table, or I could have the pulpit, or I could have that little table over there. That's, I know. This is a much better church than Calvary Chapel, Fort Bragg. I, I can't. Right. This is recorded, right? Yeah. No, they don't give me a choice of all the different tables and pulpits. And then, and then you got, you know, Cape Canaveral back there with the... Um, anyway, all right. We're doing... Uh, thank you so much for letting me come here and, and, and talk with you. I am, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Fort Bragg. And uh, in coming this June, it will be 20 years that I'm there. I know, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. That's... That is, a, it's, it's, a, it's a miracle, and uh, in just, it is a great fellowship up there. They just don't have any nice things for me to teach from. But, um, but um, anyway, so I was, I was in town, and I was uh, doing the uh, concert at the state hospital yesterday, and then and Bill asked me if I would come and share with you, so I'm really blessed to be here, and I love Bill and Debbie, and, and I know some of you people. And it's just it's so fun. So anyway, so today it's going to be a little weird. Why don't you turn with me to John chapter 11. <clears throat> As you are turning there, let's... Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank You so much that You are here. We thank You for bringing us here because we know that You want to talk to us. Lord, I, I know that it's, it's got to be tough dealing with us. We are moving targets. And I ask You that You would help us to be still today and that You would cut us where we don't want to be cut where we would receive the things that you want to give us. Lord, there are some who need encouragement today, and I pray that you would encourage them. And some need rebuke today, and I pray that you would rebuke them. And that today we would just know that because we opened your word, because your Holy Spirit is with us, that you have had a time with us. So we ask you, according to your grace and according to your mercy, to speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, though I had you uh, turn to John 11, we're just to stay there. There is a, a passage of Scripture that I really want to start with here that um, if you've walked with the Lord any longer than three months, you know this passage. It is a famous passage. It is, if some of you have it on your refrigerators at home, it's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I think, you know, half of, of all Christians can quote that perfectly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Now, we are professionals at quoting that one. I... I don't know how many of us really do very well obeying it. 
we're going to talk about trusting God. And there are, there are things that... Trusting God. There are things that happen in our lives when we trust God. And one of the things that happens, and you can tell whether or not you're trusting God, is if you're obedient. If you are, are obedient to His Word... That means you are trusting God. You cannot possibly walk against the Word of God and say you're trusting Him. Because He says, do it this way. And we say, oh, I trust you, Lord. I'll do it my way. You see. And, and, and this isn't one of those things like cosmic obedience where like, oh, I feel like the Lord was telling me to go down to the Chevron station and witness to that stranger over there, but I just didn't do it. I'm not talking about that type of obedience. I'm talking about the plain scriptural obedience here like husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. See, oh, and then we say, oh, well, yeah, I know his word says that, but we have some issues so, and, and, and then you say, wait a minute, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You see, this is when you can really tell whether or not you're trusting God. It is about obedience. Now, the good news is we're not going to talk about that end of things. We're not going to talk about that. So some of you who are walking disobediently, that was the only beating you got today. I hope it worked. But there's something else that happens when we trust the Lord. And, and that is, we will have peace when circumstances are out of our control. Usually that's the, the trust that we're looking for, right? Saying, oh, I don't know what's going to happen, so-and-so's in trouble, or this is so-and-so sick, or I'm sick, or whatever, but I'm trusting the Lord, I'm trusting the Lord, Right? I like how people say that, and they're trembling when they say it. But if we really, really, really trusted the Lord, we would, we would be at peace. And we wouldn't just say we're at peace. We really would be at peace. And that's why I would, you know, years ago I, I had gone through a horrible, horrible uh, time and during that horrible, horrible time, it was then that I realized that I just didn't trust God. Because I was not being obedient to Him in one area, and I was not at peace. I mean, I had the double whammy going. And that's when I finally prayed to Him. I said, I don't trust you. I don't trust you, God. That was the, the smartest prayer I ever prayed in my life. Because I, I'm telling you something. God wants your honesty. He doesn't want you to try to snow Him. And I do encourage you to tell the Lord who you are rather than tell Him who you ought to be. But, with that said, we're going to look at chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 of John. This is the raising of Lazarus. Now, I'm, I'm going to blow the whole story for you. Lazarus gets sick, he dies, and Jesus raises him from the dead. Happy story. But 
I'm only going to go 16, what, 15 verses, 16 verses? I don't know how far I'm going. I'm going 16 verses. So, when we leave here today, Lazarus is still going to be dead. Just read ahead and feel better about it all, okay? But he ain't going to rise today. Chapter 11 of John. Now, follow along with me. I'm reading now the New King James Version. I don't know what uh, version you guys have. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, understand when John penned this gospel, he was, he was writing uh, the story to many people who had already heard many things, and, and all of these things had already happened. And what I'm saying, why I'm saying this is that he's talking there in verse 2 about something that happens in chapter 12. And, and so um, all of this stuff had already gone down, and he's just writing everything that had happened. And so, um, But I think what this does tell us, and we see it a few times through the Gospel of John, that Jesus had a tight relationship with this family, these siblings, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He spent a lot of time with them in Bethany. And, uh, and they had a wonderful relationship with Jesus. Now, by the way, as we go through this, um, we're going to talk a little bit about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but we're really going to talk mostly about the disciples, because the disciples are the ones today with a trust issue. And so, keeping that in mind. But I will say that, you know, one good way to trust the Lord is to pray. And, and we see in verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, a lot of times you and I pray to the Lord because we're in a fix and we don't know what to do. And I will say this, if you are feeling like you are low on trust, maybe you are low on trust, but if you are praying at all, rejoice, because you trust him that much, that you are talking to him. Now, and then leaning not on your own understanding means you do it just as Mary and Martha had sent to Jesus. All they did was tell him the problem. Notice they didn't tell him what to do. You and I are professionals. We know just what Jesus needs to do. We tell him. We'll even tell him not just what to do, but how to do what we tell him to do. You ever do this? I was a guy that used to to pray this way, and I finally just put my arm around him, told him, I said, you know, maybe you shouldn't tell Jesus how to do stuff. But he'd say, oh, Lord, you know, so-and-so needs you. I pray that you'd save him. But, Lord, could you be gentle with him? If God wants to be, if He wants to do that, or if the Lord wants to be gentle, but but it's like we think we know all the answers. We think we know exactly what the, is going to help the situation. Granted, when they sent to Jesus this information that their brother was sick, they wanted Jesus to heal him. Yeah, you know, they didn't say, "Could you heal him?" I think that that's given. They knew, though, that he would do it, how he would do it, 
however he would do it, when he would do it, all of that stuff. And so, I will say this, if you're having trouble trusting the Lord, you know, if you are praying at all, know that you do trust Him that much. And in your prayers, why don't you just lay out all the problems? You know, go before the Lord, just empty your pockets before Him, go, oh, there's the stuff. Do with that what you will. Oh, uh, what he'll do with it is so much better than your plans. And so, when Jesus heard that, verse 4, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, remember, Mary and Martha are not there. They sent messengers to him The people that are with him are his disciples. He's speaking to his disciples. The disciples had to have heard the message as well, saying, you've got to come, you know, Lazarus is really sick. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, let me tell you about this particular sickness. Because Jesus knows everything. And while it looked frantic, Jesus was saying, you know what? going to be okay. This is an okay thing. This sickness, this problem is not just okay, but it is to the glory of God. And I notice, I think about chapter 9, what Jesus said about the, the young man who had been born blind. Why was he born blind? Who sinned? Who did this? And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about that at all. It's so that the works of God would be worked in him. That God would be glorified. And then you start thinking about every rotten thing that happens in our lives. And we, if we're reading the Word, and if we're trusting God, then we understand something. That all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, right? But all of this good that comes about from every all thing... the best that comes of it is that God is glorified. Do you realize that you, as a born-again believer in Christ, I'm going to talk to you like you're all saved. If you came here visiting today and you're not saved, um, I'm sorry, I'm not really talking to you right now, but you can eavesdrop and find out the whole story. And hopefully today you would say, you know what, I want that Savior. But anyway, what was I talking about? Um... So, okay, everything that we do, our lives, since we gave our lives to the Lord, is to glorify God. And the Lord will work out circumstances for us that are beyond our control. Of course, I'm sure nobody in this room has ever had a circumstance beyond your control. But just in case it should ever happen, He works those things out in order that he would be glorified, either through the healing or even the non-healing. Either through uh, God giving you uh, the outcome you dreamed of or the outcome you dreaded. Because your life, we sang it, this life is no longer mine. Do you really believe that this life is no longer yours and it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ? I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. 
It does. And when you've released that and given that to Him, then He will be glorified, even in the most difficult situations. But sometimes when the Lord says something like, God is going to be glorified in this, the Son of Man is going to be glorified, in our imagination we go to the conclusion that we want. We go, oh good, because that means that I'm, you know, all my bills will be paid, everybody will be healthy, and um, in fact I might get a boat out of it. You know. Then God will be glorified. Because people say, man, where'd you get the boat? God, it was totally God. No, man, when everything's falling apart around you and you're walking in peace because you're trusting the Lord, that's when people say, what's wrong with you? And then God is glorified when you tell them that you have that peace that passes all understanding. And so... Jesus teaching his disciples and now teaching us, saying, okay, you got a problem, so-and-so's got a problem, we got a problem over here. Hey, don't sweat it. I know life gets hard. I know your situation may be very hard right now, but don't sweat it. This is going to glorify God. Oh, man. All right. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I love that. He loved him. Gosh, I love Lazarus. And he's really sick. I'll stick around here two more days. That's... That's horrible. Because you and I say to the Lord in our times of, well, when we're all depressed and mopey and, God, where did you go? If you loved me then, this would be over right now. How can I know that you love me if you've allowed this in my life? And so, well, here's your answer right here. Do you realize that you are in the fix you're in and you have been calling out to the Lord and things are getting desperate and you're, say, you're saying, Lord, you've got to come fix us, you've got to come fix us. And the Lord looks at you and says, I love you so much. I love you so much that I'm not going to fix it today. In fact, I'm going to wait a while. I'll wait two days. I might, I'll wait two years. I'll wait. There are so many delays in Scripture. There are so many delays. I mean, throughout the, the Lord brings delay into our lives. I think, well, back to the trust thing, that our soul would wait silently on the Lord, as it reads in Psalm 62. But delay is so important for us because I think that delay brings the real you to the surface. And I think the Lord wants us to know the real you. He wants, us to, he wants me to know the real me. And you think you're doing really good. You think, wow, you know what? I've been walking with the Lord this many years. Everything's good. I'm like, 
I'm, I'm, I'm so Christian. I'm, you know. And then something falls apart. And you see something about your personality that comes out that you swear isn't you. But it is you. One of the first major delays in Scripture happened in Exodus chapter 32. Moses went up to the mountain to get the <clears throat> talk to God and get the law and instructions for the tabernacle and all. And there was Aaron getting nervous with the rest of the fellowship. And he couldn't handle the delay. And he brought gross idolatry back into God's people. And a lot of people died because of that. You see, when things delay, when God delays, you and I, in our flesh, in our sinfulness, in our nature, have a tendency to take things into our own hands. And even cut some corners that are obviously not to be cut. Well, if God's not going to do anything, I'm just going to do it myself. The delay showed you who you are. Delays teach us patience. We don't want to learn patience. Do you realize the only way any of us can learn patience is, is if we have to wait for something? I was thinking about all the things that, that Christians are supposed to have, supposed to do, supposed to be. Like, we're to be patient people. Then why do we hate waiting so much? The Lord is showing us that it's not your nature. I'm going to put it in you. Teaching you to wait. Then we've got something like forgiveness. Do you realize that Christians ought to be the most forgiving people in the world and we, should, and we're, we are commanded to forgive everybody? Everybody. Do you, do you realize that in order to exercise this gift of forgiveness, that somebody has to sin against you? What a horrible thing. These are all uncomfortable things that come at us in this life, and the Lord says, this is how you respond. This is how you respond. This is how you respond. This is what it is to walk in the Spirit. This is what it is to be a Christian, to belong to me. And so the Lord will have us wait that we would learn patience. We know in James chapter 1, right? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. For the testing of your faith produces patience. Oh. But <clears throat> Jesus did this to the disciples. He's doing it to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He it, Flashback to Mark chapter 6. Um, I think Bill's in Mark right now, isn't he? Are you guys in Mark on Sunday mornings? I don't know. Um, Mark chapter 6, we have a problem. Jesus sends the disciples out on the boat to go across the lake, right? And the storm comes and they're all screaming and yelling and, and bailing, you know? And Jesus is sitting on a mountain watching them. He's just watching them. And they're screaming, oh God, help us, we're going to die. And he's watching them. And then it tells us that he came to them walking on the sea. 
Um, Sea of Galilee. Um, eight miles across at the most narrow portion of it, which would mean that it's about a four-mile walk across the water. How long does it take you to walk on land for one mile? Okay. So this was probably an hour's walk. Give it a few hours. (laughs) They are panicked. They think they're going to die right now when Jesus finally says, all right, and he gets up and he dusts himself off, and he's walking down a mountain. Jesus did not run to them. He walked. I always wonder, how did he walk? How does Jesus walk on the water? Did it, did, I mean, as the waves were up here, did the waves kind of come up here, get him here? Or did he walk like on the cartoons and kind of go over the waves and kind of go like that? And I, I, I really ask myself those questions. And we're going to know one day. We're going to get to heaven and say, Lord, you've got to tell me. But he walked to them on the water. And they are certain they're going to die. And it tells us in Mark that he not only walked to them, but it looked like he was going to pass them by. He's just walking. There they are. And Jesus walks by. He goes, no, don't worry, it's me. It's me. See you later. And so, it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? I'm in trouble. Fix the problem now, you can. But you're not fixing it now. I know what he's saying to the disciples. He's walking on the water, he goes, I love you guys. Well, then fix us. Yeah, I will. And there you are, the biggest mess in the world. There you are in trouble that you never thought you would ever see. And you're drowning. And you think you've got only one breath left. One more bob of your head up above that water. You go, and Jesus is standing on the shore eating a sandwich. I love you. I'll be there in a second. Why are you waiting? Because he loves you. Do you know why you're waiting right now for that problem to be fixed? Because he loves you. Fact. God's not done baking you. You go in that oven, that heat goes up for the refining, and he never takes you out too early. He never takes you out too early. Or think about cookies. I mean, you make all that cookie dough and you put it in the oven at 350 degrees for whatever minutes, right? What do the cookies think? Cookies are brainless. I don't know if you guys knew that. Cookies are brainless. But I will tell you what. A cookie is, is way closer to our intellect than we are to God's. The cookies are crying out from the oven. They're going, it's hot in here. It's hot in here. Oh man, I'm, I can't take this anymore. But man, you take out the cookies too early. This is going to be gooey, gross stuff in the middle. And the Lord take you out too early of your trial. 
The job didn't get done. You got all some kinds of gooey, gross stuff in your middle or something. You're just not going to be done. The Lord loves you, so He's waiting. And then after this, this is verse 7. After this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. So two days have passed. And the disciples said to him, uh, <clears throat> Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again. Now, we saw that back in the last chapter. And so Jesus now is with his disciples on the other side of the Jordan somewhere. But now he's, he's saying, okay, now it's time to go back to Judea. Now this will be his final trip into Judea as he goes into Jerusalem. There They will crucify him. So yes, they're going to kill him. But here the disciples, notice they call him rabbi. That means teacher. Jesus was their teacher. But how often do we see them teaching him? Rabbi, we need to teach you something. And that is, do not go into Judea because they'll kill you. You see, Jesus' disciples, after three years of walking with him, still didn't get it, and that is that they still thought like human beings, and that is to, to um, bow down to self-preservation. Self-preservation, man, that's what life is all about. Preserve yourself because it's all about me. And they're trying to help Jesus with this thinking. Say, now Jesus, whoa, no. We don't go there because they're trying to kill you. And we're your best friends. And so that kind of puts us in danger. So, um, no, you know what? Why don't we pray about this before we go to Judea? I just don't think it's smart to go. Yeah, they were trying to save their own skin. Do you realize you cannot serve God? if you're trying to save your own skin. You cannot serve God if you're trying to hold on to some even type of individuality. But these guys, hey, three years walking with them, they still don't get it. And many of us have such trouble getting that, don't we? And so they don't trust Jesus in that he's saying, hey, we're going to go to Judea. Well, no, it's not wise. Um, and Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Now, after Jesus said this in response to their counsel, I'm sure they just kind of... What the heck is he talking about? Because Jesus would often just say something so twisted. He says, okay, Lord, we just said you're going to get killed there. Now you're going to want to talk about 12 hours in a day and walking in darkness. This has nothing to do with the rocks they're throwing in Judea. But it did, obviously. This is the second time in a very short amount of, of time that Jesus had said something like this. He had said it regarding the blind man in, in John chapter 9. He says, I must work while it's still daytime. Because at nighttime, nobody can work. And, and at that time, I'm sure they're saying, okay, Lord, that was weird for you to say. But now there are two things here. One thing for sure, 
Um, and this is stuff that's on the surface that's out of context of all of this. And that is that, that Jesus is, is making it clear that, that if you're going to walk with the Lord, you just do things out in the, in the light. You have no secrets. There's nothing hidden. You just do it. Because if you are a, a person that likes to hide under darkness, you, you, you know, then you're going to stumble. And obviously the light is not in him. Um, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19, it says the wicked are like the darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. And, and so, you know, Jesus is just talking about, hey, walking in the light. But ah, there's something else he's saying here. And this actually helps you understand why he said it back in chapter 9. And that is that, you see, Jesus is saying there's 12 hours in a day. And he said back in chapter 9, nobody can work at night. I believe he's speaking figuratively of his life. He's about ready to get to the cross, and it's going to be done. He has this daytime, this life, to serve the Father. And there were the disciples trying to get some self-preservation into him. But he's saying, no, 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 I don't have time for self-preservation because I have these 12 hours, this life, which for him was 33 years, to do what I'm supposed to do, no matter what comes at me. Because when I'm gone, I don't do this anymore. And so the lesson is for you and for me, that any time we would feel like self-preservation is the answer, that the Lord would come back at us and say, um, do you realize you only have one life here? And that once you're dead, you cannot serve the Lord in this way. Now, we're going to serve the Lord in glory forever. But here, regarding unbelievers, sharing the gospel with them, encouraging one another in their walk with the Lord, all of these things, we're not going to be able to do that anymore. You and I have got our 12 hours. Now the problem is the Lord didn't give us a watch. We don't know when our 12 hours is over. I know, you know, I mean recently, I, last year, we had to bury a 20-year-old young man from our fellowship. You don't know. And so the question is, what are you doing with your 12 hours? Are you just trying to preserve yourself? All the self-preservation in the world isn't going to stop that 12th hour from passing. So Jesus is saying, I'm going because I'm here. And these things he said, verse 11, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. <laughs> and his disciples said, uh, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. <laughs> However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Now, here's the deal. Jesus, is, he's waiting, he waited that two days because he was waiting for Lazarus to die. Now, back to us in this whole waiting business. He's waiting on you. He's waiting to, to help you and whatever it may be. 
Because he's, he, he might be waiting for something, waiting for you to come to that place where you really, really believe in your heart that all hope is lost. You know why he does that? So that when he does fix it, there's no doubt it was him. How many times has the Lord fixed something and you kind of took about 20% credit? And so now, Lazarus is dead, but he's telling his disciples in figurative language. Jesus spoke figuratively quite often. In fact, in chapter 16, he's telling these guys, now there's going to come a time I'm not going to talk to you in figurative language, I'm talking to you figuratively. The reason he speaks to them figuratively is so that they would think. Jesus wants you to think. He wants us to take the things he says and to, and to, to roll them around in our head, to, to, you know, just to grapple with these things, to, to wrestle with these things. He'll, he'll just be, give us a hint here, a hint there. There's a reason in the Proverbs, it's the, it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. The Lord wants us to search it out. Because when we find it, then we go, yes, and it's ours. And so, while the Lord does come right out and tell us, sometimes, the plain facts, He spends a lot of time telling us things in figurative language. And so he's speaking figuratively to them. He's hey, Lazarus is asleep. Let's go wake him up. And they're thinking, okay, they're going to throw rocks at you there, but now let's just, let's just be smart, Jesus. If he's asleep, that means he's going to get better. We don't have to go to Judea. Like little kids. When you were a little kid, you just didn't want to go somewhere. And you kept coming up with really good reasons why it was a bad idea to go. And that's what they're doing. The disciples are scared. They do not trust Jesus. They're scared for their own lives. And so they're saying, okay, good. He's asleep. He's going to get better. Good thing. Let's just stay here. This is a great place. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> you know, finally, and I love Jesus for this, when you and I are too slow to get the things that he brings to us, situations here, situations here, to cause us to think, to cause us to go to him, and we're just too dopey dopey dope. we're just too slow to take any of this stuff, the Lord is faithful to finally just say, look, here it is. I'll tell you what, we're like cats. We're like cats. I know some of you love cats. I don't like cats. We've got two cats in our house. It's my daughter's fault. I want her gone. Anyway, um, but, you know, we got this, this cat. You can, okay, the cat's in the kitchen. You're mixing a tuna sandwich. And the kitty's going, nah, 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 nah. Right? And you go, all right. And you take a little piece of that tuna and go, on the floor. And the kitty goes, meow, 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 meow. Tuna, tuna. I said, it's on the floor. Tuna, tuna. I smell it. I'm smelling something. Tuna. No, it's over on the floor, on the floor. And of course, where does the kitty go? To your finger. Kitty's got his nose on your finger. No, no, down here. Kitty, on the floor, right there, right there, right there. 
And the kitty goes all the way down to it, and then back up again. Where is it? Want the tuna? Where's the tuna? And you grab the cat's head and you stick the cat in the tuna. The tuna. See that tuna? Kitty comes up, got tuna all over her face, going, "Oh, that's good. Where did that come from?" There's the Lord with us. Man, we're tuna all over the floor for us. He has given us so much, and we're just like, I can't find it, Lord. I'm struggling with this. I don't know. I don't know what this. I don't know what it is. And He's got to grab us by the head sometimes and just shove our face in the tuna. And someone's got tuna dangling from our faces, and we don't even know where it is. We have no idea. But I think one of the reasons we don't know where that plain point is. It's because a lot of times it's not anything we would really like. It's not like the tuna. It's something we don't want to hear. A lot of times it's something we don't want. The Lord makes it so clear to us. I don't know. I just can't see it. Because we just don't want to see it. Because a lot of times it just might mean something painful for us. Something difficult. But understand that regardless, that regardless of how difficult it may be, Jesus said, this is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that's what our lives are for. So he says, look, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to it. <laughs> like, oh no, we've got to go. He, um, he's saying, no, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why? He's glad that Lazarus died. Because Jesus is going to pull off a miracle. He does so many things. The Lord does so many things in our lives. He does so many miracles in our lives. But every once in a while, He'll do something way amazing. And it's then we go, I believe you now. I believe you. We should believe him before. But God is faithful to do some pretty wild things in our lives when he knows it is needed for us. So he's saying, hey, I did it. So that, hey, you guys are going to believe. You're going to love this. So let's go. Let's go. And then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> I don't... Thomas, I don't... Was he being funny? Was he being like Eeyore? Was he just saying, come on guys, let's go die now. Remember, they're trying to get out of this. Get out of this. And all of a sudden, Thomas stands up and there's this, this, this moment of boldness, this moment of faith. Because these are just words on a page right now and we're, we don't know the motive in which he said this. We don't know the heart in which he said it. But we do know that the disciples, as a result of following Jesus, would all face martyrdom. The only reason John got out of the martyrdom thing is because he wasn't that easy to kill. 
John was the only disciple who died a natural death. Thomas may have felt defeated at this moment. And again, I don't know the tone he used. But I do know he spoke a truth that you and I cannot stand. And that is, let's go where he goes. And if we're going to go where he goes, we've got to die. If you want to trust the Lord, you trust him with your life. You've got to die. Jesus would tell these same disciples, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And the question is, is this the life you really want? And for me, the answer is, is yes, I want that. I want what the Lord has for me. As he says, to deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow him. Man, it sounds horrible. But when we turn our back on ourselves for the sake of the Lord, something wonderful happens in your heart, in your life, in who you are that can never be given to you from anything in this world that can never be secured through your self-preserving efforts. If you want to trust the Lord, you've got to be willing to die. Now I know, we live in a place where nobody's threatening to kill us for our faith. Yeah, they're taking away some of our rights and some of our freedoms, but... I think there are many people sitting in here today that might even suggest that say, say, well, yeah, man, I would totally die for the Lord. You know, if I got, you know, if a guy came in here and said right now that he'd blow everybody away who will not renounce Christ, I'd, be, I'd stand with Christ and let him blow me away. And, and you know what? We can talk big in theory. But I think the, uh, these hypothetical situations are not realistic. What about the little things? You know how you die for Christ? Go back to the very beginning of what I had said earlier. Something I'm, t- I'm talking to myself here, by the way. I'm not, it's great to put the pastor up here, big old cool table. I can put my Bible over here. And, and you know, here's the guy who's got it all down, man. Got it all down. And you people need to get it all down the way I got it all down. No. You know, I need to go sit down there with you guys and talk. But, you know how you die? In the little baby ways throughout every day. Back to the husbands and wives. Husbands are supposed to die for their wives. And you say, oh, I'll throw myself out in front of a train. Well, good thing there's no train coming. But I would do that. Yeah, but you won't get her purse for her when she asks. You won't help with the dishes. Says, so oh, hey, that's going a little too far. <laughs> you see, dying for the Lord are the little deaths throughout a day where you give yourself up to somebody else.
that's dying. And if you want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, guess who comes last? You. Guess who comes first? The Lord. Guess who all the people in between are? Everybody else. And so, fact, you want to follow the Lord, you're going to have to die. And I will tell you what, the ones who die are the most joyful Christians I know. The ones who struggle in their walk, struggle in their relationships, they're the ones holding on, refusing to die. Give it up. Give it up. Some of you all need to die today. Maybe there's a specific thing that you need to die to. But also, I want to say, maybe there's something back to the trust issue. You're going through the ringer. We're going to have people up here you know, to pray with. And, and I really don't want you leaving here without getting some prayer regarding something that, that might be really weighing so heavily on you. Something that, it's something that I, I wouldn't even be able to imagine. But for some reason, you're going through it. Well, I'll tell you what. Maybe the Lord's waiting. But be certain. Be convinced that He's waiting because He loves you. And He's going to do something greater than what you are looking for. We are... um, Well, I'll tell you what. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word and I want to thank You for uh, loving us. I want to thank you for taking your sweet time, Lord, for so many things because we saw the glory in it when you arrived. And I pray, we do pray that you would arrive in some people's lives and their situations, but we also pray that while they wait, that they would know that you do love them. You are with them by your Holy Spirit and your timing is perfect. We love you so much and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to do some, I hear you guys do some questions and stuff. we have any questions up there? Text your questions. What are some practical strategies for beginners to find the tuna before we get it all over our faces? Man, I don't know who you are, but I am madly in love with you. I love that question. Okay, first of all, the more advanced Christians got tuna all over their faces as well. It is one of the hardest things to do. And I said, I think I brought it to this, this whole point of this, the fact that there are sometimes things that the Lord wants to tell us, and the reason we don't hear it is because we don't want to hear it. When you talk to an unbeliever and you share something in the Scriptures with them that is plain as day, they say, I don't get it. Like, um, you know, John fourteen six. You know, Jesus is the the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Well, the world doesn't want to hear that He is the only door. But I don't know any other way to interpret that. It's plain. That's that's the face and the tuna verse. But the the unbeliever looks at that and says, "Ah, I don't get it. Because you don't want to. I I think that the answer for us beginners and us more advanced beginners is to pray and beg the Lord to tell you things you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. Just believe God. Believe Him. Believe Him at His Word. 
You know, there are so many things. The epistles are great because, you know, Paul talks in imagery sometimes, like, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is glorious imagery. I love the pictures he paints there. But he just comes right out and says just black and white, this is how you do it. This is what it is. Read the epistles. Read Paul's letters and go, mm, okay. You know, uh, Colossians chapter 3, for instance, that is right in your face. Look at it, say, all right, Lord. I mean, things like put off, you know, you know put off the members that are on the earth. It's just this, this sinfulness, you know, uh, fornication, uncleanness, um, the filthy language out of your mouth, things like that. It's so simple. It's like, don't do this anymore. It's plain. So ask the Lord, say, look, Lord, whatever you're telling me, I do want to hear it. And have... And, and, and believe that prayer. I don't, because God's not going to say, nope, going to hide it from you. No, He's not going to do it. He wants you to see it. He wants us to see it. All right, th- I hope I answered that question. Any other thing? That was the only question. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, uh, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to sing one more song. And as we sing, we're going to have the uh, prayer people up here. And you need prayer. And again, you know, you're waiting those two days, waiting for the Lord to show up. You, I don't know what's going on. God knows. It's awesome that he knows. But, you know, we could pray that the Lord would teach us patience. We could pray for the, the, the troubles. But, but I do want you to know something. The Lord loves you. He's working in you. He's working through you. And he is going to be glorified. He wants you to, uh, to reflect His image. And in doing, in doing that, sometimes it's going to take some pain and some remolding on us. And pain is the only thing that can get that done. And so, you know, today, even today, you know, may we rejoice in our struggles. As it reads in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, what, 18, um, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God for you, that today you could give thanks for the trouble that you're seeing. Oh man, I do that. And the Lord gives me such peace when I just thank Him for a problem. But anyway, these people want to pray with you and just get that settled in your heart today. If you have not given your life to the Lord, you're saying, woo, I don't want to join that club. Hey, let me explain something to you. we all going to die. And if you die without Christ, you will be without Him for eternity in outer darkness. He loves you and he wants to work in you and he, oh boy, he wants to forgive you of your sins. Saying, Lord, just come into my life. You know, just pray a prayer like that. Come up with the prayer people and say, you know what? I know I need to be saved and I know the Lord's calling me. Oh, just give your life to Jesus. All right? So...